What's up? Welcome to Bow Down, the teaching ministry of Pastor Chris Tress. Let's go ahead and turn to Revelation 19. Revelation 19. Um, if you are uh, new with us, I uh, just want to let you know this is like one of the worst weeks to visit for the first time. No. Uh, we are in the middle of uh, the, the judgments of God. Um, God is pouring out his wrath on the earth uh, that does not repent in the times of tribulation. And so today's message is a heavy message, um, but Proverbs says this, it says, without vision, people perish. Without vision, people perish, or people cast off restraint. Vision is a thing that, 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 that moves us, that kind of keeps us aligned and keeps us on track. And so today, as we go through chapter 9, understand uh, we don't believe as a church that we're going to be here for chapter 9. So the tendency might say, hey, why even study it? Well, because the reality is it's coming. It's going to come on people that we love that don't want anything to do with Jesus. It's also coming because this side of heaven, we're not going to get justice. We're not going to get the justice that we think we deserve. So when you think of the shootings in Buffalo and in Texas, one racially motivated, the guy shot up kids. You know, we're, we're going to be dealing with demonic, demonic demons attacking people released from the bottomless pit in chapter 9 today. But you can look at the elementary school, you can look at what happened in Buffalo, and hey, how can you not believe that there's demons at work in this world? And let me just say this as well. If Satan is not real, if demons are not real, then Jesus is a liar. And when the world's crying out, why God? Why God? This gives us some answers as to why. And it helps us to have a heavenly perspective so that we we move differently than the rest of the world, not reacting like the rest of the world, but reacting with sober judgment and ultimately shining like lights of the world that we are. We are the light of the world. We are a city on the hill that cannot be hidden. And so when, when, when because we know what is coming and, and what is going to happen, we're going to respond differently than the rest of the world. Uh, see this wall here where it says love, equip, and power, right? So I don't know if you guys know this, but uh, there's a gentleman back there named Bill Hobbs with gray hair, right? He's the founder of this place, Urban Youth Impact. He started it with his wife, Carrie, who's here today, back in 1997. Yeah, yeah. And this is the mission. We are going to continue... 
to love, equip, and empower inner city youth to fulfill their God-given purpose. We're not going to move off that mission. We're not going to move off the vision that was laid forth. We're going to keep going in that same direction. And so Revelation chapter 9 helps us to stay on mission. It helps us to keep a proper perspective so that we don't veer off. Does that make sense? You've got to keep the vision before you. You've got to keep a heavenly perspective before you. Chapter 9 is one way you can obey Colossians 3, 1 and 2, which says, set your mind on things above. Understand justice is coming. Justice is coming. Revelation 19. I want to encourage you just a little bit off the start because the rest is just heavy stuff. So here's your sugar and honey. All right, here it is. Revelation 19, uh, verse 1, hallelujah, salvation, glory, and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. You want to highlight that. You're going to see in chapter 9 his judgments being measured out, and you're like, oh my gosh, no, that's a little too much, God, right? But understand, here's what scripture is saying, that they're true and they're just, For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality, and he has avenged on her the blood of his servants. I want you to go down to Revelation 19.11. This is Jesus coming back on the white horse. And it says, I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. He's faithful and he's true. And in righteousness, he judges and he makes war. God's wrath is poured out in Revelation 9. But understand, it's coming from a God who is just, who is true. It's not going to be too much. It's going to be just the right amount for what people have asked for, have asked for. God gives people what they want. This should bring a sober judgment to all of us. Now, what do you mean by that, Chris? Hey, thanks for asking. Go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 5, please. Romans chapter 5. Well, if you could go ahead and put up that first picture of Matthew 24 and Revelation 6. I talked about this two weeks ago and how Jesus in his Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24 was talking about the end times because his disciples said, how do we know what the end times are going to look like? And he gives a description in Matthew 24. You can read it at your own time. But he says something in the midst of that that he says... These things are the beginnings of birth pains. These things are the beginnings of birth pains. Birth pains. When a mom is about to deliver a child, so I'm told, there's contraptions, contractions. Help me, God. They get greater in number and greater in frequency until the baby pops out. 
Greater in number, greater in pain, greater in frequency, and it's like an uptick, birth pains, right? And then all of a sudden, boom, baby's out. At least that's how I'm told it happens, you know? So understand, this stuff's going down just like Jesus said it would go down. Why does he tell us these prophetic things? Because he doesn't want us to worry. He doesn't want us to fear. He doesn't want us to be afraid. He doesn't want us to walk like the rest of the world. So we see these two things that happen, the school shooting, the racist shooting in, in, in Buffalo, and obviously we condemn all of that. But man, why is this happening? Why is this happening? Why is this happening? The world, which operates out of a humanistic worldview, and basically a humanistic worldview is what your children are taught in public schools. It's what they're going to be taught at secular colleges and universities, that man and woman is basically good. That's humanism. Man is good. Listen, your starting place determines your outcome. If you're on a path and you're going from here to there in the ocean and you're just off a little bit, you're going to be way off on your destination. Your starting place determines your outcome. Listen, the Bible is very, very clear about this. The Christian worldview says we're all born in sin. All of us. Uh, That's why I have you, I think, in Romans 5, right? Romans 5. Let's look at verse 12. It says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. So Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned. Everybody has sinned because sin entered the world through Adam. Therefore, we all have sinned. So we are sinners. And deep down within us, we know that it is true. When a baby is not fed, they start to cry and whine and say, Me, 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 mine, 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 mine. You ever seen kids in the nursery? No, mine. You don't have to teach a kid to be selfish. You have to teach them to share. You don't have to teach a kid to lie. They just do that automatically. You don't have to teach them to disobey. To teach them to obey. Little children are little rebellious sinners to the core. But they're so cute and cuddly, I know. But they are just little rebels. And those of us parents, we can testify. Can I get a witness? Well, I don't believe in spanking. Well, you probably never had kids. (laughs) So we see that, right? There's, There's no class that we teach our kids on 101 how to sin, how to be selfish. We're all sinners. And so, so there's an opposing worldview that's out there that's taught to our world that people are good. A biblical worldview teaches that people are corrupt, depraved, full of sin, apart from God, in need of a Savior. For all have sinned. And those belief systems will cause you to react when something like these shootings go down. Why did this happen? How could anybody do this? 
The Christian worldview steps back and says, hey, yeah, it's horrific, but we understand. We understand. Let's go ahead over, since we're in Romans, to 128, please. 128. <clears throat> so up in the, the early part of this passage, it talks about that through creation, God has spoken to everybody, so everybody's without excuse in this world. All right? But then it gets down to 28, which is the, the foundational principle of this matter that I'm talking about. It says, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a base, debased mind. And you want to highlight debased mind. You could also put by there mental illness, mental illness, to do what ought not to be done. So a debased mind, a debased mind, can be controlled by the demonic. So again, the Christian view, there is demons, there is sinful man, and when sinful man continues to not acknowledge God, basically to not acknowledge God, it means this, God, we know that you are real, we know that you're the creator, but we will not submit to you. We will not bow down to you. We will not follow you. We want to do what we want to do. And that heart that continues to rebel against God, God eventually says, okay, if that's what you want, I'm going to give you over to that. This should give us a fear as the people of God, a reverence for God, that those without the Lord are in constant danger of God giving people over to a debased mind to do what, not, what should not be done. In fact, if you read on down in that list, one of the things it says is murder, is murder. So why is this stuff happening Again, this is why God's word is really, really important for us to understand so that we walk differently. Now, let me make this point, and I, and I really want you to get this. Chris, are you saying that all mental illness is, is because people won't acknowledge God or follow Jesus? And the answer is no. No, I don't believe that. But I do believe some of mental illness is because of that verse. Why? Because that's the verse. It says God has given them mental illness because they will not acknowledge God. This is where the church gets all jacked up sometimes. I'm not saying everybody that has mental illness, it's because of this verse. But I'm saying if you go to a counselor that doesn't follow Jesus, that might never get talked about. Uh, meaning this, people come to me at times struggling with certain things, and I bring up this topic of lordship. Lordship. Is he the Lord of your life in every area? Have you surrendered everything to him? Why not? 
Why are you holding back? And the root issue of that, here's the root issue, is I don't want to acknowledge God in that area. I don't want to acknowledge God in that area. I don't want to submit to God in that area. I don't want God to deal with that area. I actually want to compartmentalize my life. God, leave that over here, and I'm good over here. It's like sometimes we should do baptisms where people are baptized, but they keep their wallet out of the water. Is that my money? I made that. Acknowledging God. And there's a danger that's in the world. And so when I look at these instances, man, I'm not saying that it was demonic, but man, it sure points to that. It sure points to something like that. Mental illness, yeah, I mean, shooting kids, right? What, you know, geez. Now, the question is, man, did, did, they, did these people, were they acknowledging God? Have they surrendered their life to Christ? I don't know. But this is what Romans 8, Romans 1.28 says. This is why the church needs to really understand that because the world's looking for answers. And we know, hey, we, the world is full of sinful people. And when sinful people continue to rebel against God and say, I will not acknowledge you, I will not acknowledge you, I will not acknowledge you, I will not acknowledge you. Finally, God may say, here, go ahead. I'm going to give you what you want. Where we are in Revelation 9 is God giving people what they want. So, Will, if you could throw up the seals so we can just give an explanation. Chapter 6, six seals the, the, were, were ripped off, and on the seventh seal, before the seventh seal, there were silence, and then there became seven trumpets. And so Bill did a great job with the first four trumpets last week in chapter 8. Today we're going to hit two out of the three woes, so the fifth trumpet and the sixth trumpet, and then there's going to be a pause, and then the... Third, the the last trumpet is going to open up seven bowls or seven veils of judgment that are going to rip forth. God is pouring out his wrath because people will not repent. They will not obey. They will not follow the lamb. And this is what we're dealing with today. So again, if it's your first time, Jesus does love you. He died on the cross. He is love. God is love. But... God, in his love and his justice, is pouring out his wrath. And this helps us to keep that vision before us so that we walk with sober judgment, not like the rest of the world, understanding someday, like if you go interview the parents of those precious children that were killed, if that guy gets the electric chair, do you think they'd be satisfied with that? I wouldn't be. I'd want torture. I would just want, you you know what I'm saying? I could think of some things that I'd want that guy to go through. Why? Because justice, 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 it's in us all, right? We're creating the image and likeness of God, and we want justice. We want justice, but you're not going to get it here. And so your enemies, the people that hate you, the people that don't like you, the people that are mistreating you, you might never get justice from them. And chapter 9 should cause you to say, wow, 
I see what's coming on their life. Because the Bible says you can't hate somebody and have the love of God in you. So they hate me and must not have God's love. Which means they're going to get God's wrath. Oh God, have mercy. Have mercy, God. And mercy triumphs over judgment. Revelation chapter 1, please. Uh, not one, nine, one. Nine, verse one. God, help me. I need you. We just welcome your presence here in this place. May we get, God, may we get, God, what you, what you have for us, God, as we open up your holy word. Lord, we believe, help our unbelief. Lord, this is a hard passage to say, man, this, I can't even imagine this. Help us to believe, God. Help us to believe and help us to respond to your Holy Spirit's movement. In Jesus' name, amen. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet and I saw a star. And I want you to highlight the word star that that fell from heaven to the earth. And he, I want you to highlight he, please, And the question is, how can a star be he? How can a star be he? And he was given the key. Again, I want you to highlight given the key, because we're going to talk about this, to the shaft of the bottomless pit. So the bottomless pit has this shaft that goes down into it, and there is some type of locking mechanism over the shaft that leads to the bottomless pit. So, I want you to keep your place here, and you're always going to come back to Revelation chapter 9, okay? I want you to turn to Isaiah 14, please. So, the first question that we see is, how can this star be a he? How can this star be a he? And so, those of you who've been in the Word of God for a while, we know that in Isaiah chapter 14 is a description of a star falling from heaven. Angels in the Bible are often called stars. Angels in the Bible are often referred to as stars. So Isaiah 14, verse 12, it says, How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of the dawn. So it's a son, not a she. It's a he. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, and this is, this is really, really important because we as Christians can say this in our heart. We've got to be very, very careful how we're speaking in our heart. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. The pit, the pit, the pit, the bottomless pit. You're brought down to the pit. This is a prophetic declaration because right now Satan's not in the pit, but we're going to see in Revelation chapter 20, he's going to get thrown into the pit. 
But this is Lucifer. Lucifer was a high-ranking angel. And you see this phrase pop out a lot? I will do this. I will set. I will sit. I will ascend. I will. I will. I will. I will. I will. Who's that sound like? You and me. You and me apart from God. I will. I will. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do what? Mm. It's in you that I live, move, and have my being. Christians, we are called to abide in Christ, right? I, I challenge young people, listen, listen, don't come to me with a wedding date already planned out and say, hey, this is our date. Well, we have a process here called premarital counseling that we want you to go through to make sure, because if you do premarital counseling with me, okay, here's my, my first, the first time together, okay, here, here's what I do. So here's what I want you to do, because my wife and I did this. We took a week, and we sought God. We fasted, and we sought God, and we took our, our relationship, and we put it on the altar like Abraham and Isaac, and we said, God, you kill it if this is not you. This is why nobody comes to me for premarital counseling, by the way. <laughs> Christians, how many of us, we say, we're going to do this, and God, we want you to bless us. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. Anton LaVey, who was the leader of the Church of Satan, was asked, what do you think the most demonic song ever written was? And his response has shocked me. He said, Frank Sinatra's I Did It My Way is the most satanic song ever written. Holy cow. Forgive me, Lord, I've sung that so many times. But what is it? What is it? I did it my way. I did it my way. I will, I will, I will, I will. Oh, man. God, strike that from my heart. Please, God, I don't want to move like that. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 10, please. Because some of us have a hard time affirming this, and this is why, believing this, this is why I said, hey, if Satan's not real, then Jesus is a liar. If Isaiah 14, 12 through 14 is just some kind of a weird prophecy, no, 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 no. Jesus affirms that this happened in Luke chapter 10. That's why we're here. Look at what it says. Luke chapter 10, verse 17, and Will, you can go ahead and throw that picture up, please. It says, and the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to, us to, subject to us in your name. Verse 18, and he said to them, and I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. You want to put there in your Bible, Isaiah, Isaiah 14, Isaiah 14, 12 through 15. That's what Jesus was referring to. Satan was kicked out of heaven. He was the high-ranking leader. He was a worshiper of God, right? He was an exalted angel, and because of pride, he was kicked out of heaven. And Jesus said this, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Nineteen. 
Behold, this is encouraging to you, Christian. I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, don't rejoice in this, that the, subjects are spirit, that the spirits are subject to you, but you rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And so, listen, Christian, Satan is a fallen angel. Satan has had his authority taken away from him. That's why Jesus said, all authority's been given to me. If all authority's been given to Jesus, Satan has none. And so we have authority. Satan has power. His demons have power, but we've been given authority. We've been given authority. And we're gonna see here in chapter nine that there's gonna be limited authority and limited power that's given over to the demonic to attack people on earth. But understand, the enemy doesn't have authority. Christian, you have to know that. A Christian cannot say, the devil made me do it. The devil doesn't have the authority to make you do anything. He can tempt you, but you don't have to give in to it. Because you have the Holy Spirit of God in you. And that's why it says, submit to God, resist the devil. He will flee. He has to go. He has to go when you stand under the authority of Jesus Christ. Be encouraged. Let's go back to Revelation chapter 9, verse 1. Wow, we're moving really fast today, guys. The fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star falling from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. Now, I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 1, 17. Chris, why are we going so many places? Well, because the Bible's the best commentary on the Bible. We want you to have understanding of the text so that you can move with a certain knowledge that God wants you to have. These things, they are extremely important. It's important for you to know that Satan doesn't have authority in your life. As you walk with God and you walk in obedience to Christ, he doesn't have authority. You also need to know what it says in, in Ephesians chapter 4. It says this, don't let the sun go down in your anger because you'll give a foothold to the devil. You'll give a place. You'll give permission for the devil to come in. It's like a open sign on your house saying, welcome in, devil. So we can walk with authority, but through our disobedience, we can give our authority away. This is why obeying God's word is really important for the Christian. So here we are, Revelation 1.17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Revelation 1.17, but he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, I am the first and the last. I'm the living one, I died, and behold, I'm alive forevermore, and I have the keys of what? Death and Hades. Jesus is the one with the keys. Back to Revelation 9.1, he gives them to Satan so that he opens the bottomless pit and something's going to come out. Make sense? Everybody tracking? Good. Verse 2. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit. Now, the bottomless pit, when you see that, it's the Greek word A-B-Y-S-S-O-S. A-B-Y-S-S-O-S. 
It's also translated abyss, abyss. And if you want to put above the bottomless pit, Luke 8.31, Luke 8.31, don't turn there. You got to believe me. You can go there on your own time. We don't have time today. So we got we to gotta hold on, all right? We got to strap in our seatbelts and hold on. Uh, Luke 8.31, it says this, and they begged him, the demons, they begged him, Jesus, not to command them to depart into the abyss. So these demons knew that Jesus, when he came on the earth, he had all authority to throw them into the bottomless pit or the abyss where they would be chained, all right? And so, again, Luke 8.31, you can write that over the bottomless pit in your Bible. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from that shaft arose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. And so this is a, 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 a pit, and we'll go ahead and, and throw up that picture, please, so we can see this. A lot of times Christians are confused with hell, the pit, and the lake of fire, all right? So these are all different things, different things in the Bible, and we'll get into this in later chapters as we go through the book of Revelation. But the bottomless pit is right here. And if you cannot see it, uh, there's a little key that's over this lid, all right? Uh, hell, or, or excuse me, the lake of fire is right here, and everything eventually is going to be thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death uh, that we're going to talk about in Revelation 19 and Revelation 20. But this is what is going on. So there's two different places. Now, with the bottomless pit, I want you to write down Jude 6. Jude 6, and I'm going to read it to you. It says this, Angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but they left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. So God has angels, fallen angels, demonic angels that are bound in this bottomless pit, this abyss, where he has them chained up until chapter 9 of Revelation. That's what the Bible's saying in Jude, verse 6. Now, I want you to flip over to Revelation 17, please. Revelation 17 Let's, let's, and again, keep your place in 9, Revelation chapter 9. Let's go to Revelation 17, 8. It says this, And the beast that you saw and is not, Revelation 17, 8, is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And so here we have a beast coming out of the bottomless pit. Again, not the lake of fire, not hell, but the bottomless pit. Uh, let's go over to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. Now, this is talking about the millennial reign of Christ, which is a thousand-year reign where Jesus will be in Jerusalem. He will rule and reign there for a thousand years. And during that time, Satan is going to be cast into the bottomless pit or the abyss. Let's look at Revelation 23. It says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven. Revelation 20, chapter 20, verse 3. Holding in his hand the key. There's the key again. Who has the keys? Jesus, to the bottomless pit and to the great chain. And he sees the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and he bound him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the pit, the 
abyss, and he shut it and he sealed it over him that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended, and after that he must be released for a little while. There's a war that happens. Anyway, why is that important, Chris? Why are you spending so much time on the abyss, on the pit? Well, here's why. Let's go to verse 3, Revelation 9. Out of this pit come demonic entities that are so horrible, so vile, so scary. It should cause you to give your life to Jesus today. Verse 3. Then from the smoke came the locusts on the earth. And they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. So, a lot of people try to take this passage and they say, because you'll hear the description, there's going to be fire in their tails, sounds of great wind that's happening. So it's the Apache helicopter, okay? Um, it's not the Apache helicopter. It's not the Air Force. It's, it's not planes, okay? Why? Because there's no aircraft carrier in the pit. Why I spend so much time in the pit is to kind of dispel that. This is not going to be man-made war. It's not going to be planes and helicopters and all of that. These are real demonic beings that are going to be released. Verse 3, from the smoke came locusts on the earth. They were given power. They were given power, given power. Why is that important? Because they're not in control. These demonic entities are not in control. They had the power like scorpions on the earth. They were given power and limited authority. Verse 4, they were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of, God's, of God on their foreheads. And so people that are not born again, people that are not saved, people that are not sealed of God, they're going to be the ones targeted by these demonic beings during this time. Verse 5. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. I can't even imagine what this is going to be like. Being hunted down by these demonic entities, being tormented for five months. Understand this, Christian, and this is what we see with the book of Job. Satan is accusing Job, and God says, okay, you can do this, this, and this, but I'm drawing a line here. Don't cross it. You can't kill him. There's always a line with God when it comes to spiritual warfare. Nothing can happen to you unless it's, there's Father filtered there, right? The enemy just can't come and do what he wants. You don't need to be afraid of the enemy. You don't need to be afraid. You need to beware, but not afraid. And here we see demons being told, don't touch vegetation, don't touch those that are sealed. And also, you've got five months. And then you're done. Then it's over. Understand, don't you ever forget God is in control of everything. He's in control. Verse 6. And in those days, people will seek death and not find it. Can you imagine? 
people are not going to be allowed to commit suicide during these days. They're going to seek death, but not be able to find it. They're going to long to die, but death will flee from them. It's going to be such horrible torment, they're going to desire death. Verse 7, the appearance, in the appearance, the locusts were like, and I want you to highlight like, please, like horses prepared for battle. Their heads would look like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces. This is why people say, yeah, that's a, a person in the cockpit and the, the gold was the glow off the cockpit shield. Anyway, um, verse 8, their hair like women's hair, teeth like lions. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron. Their no, the, the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months was in their tails. And so their purpose is to torment people. Their purpose is to hurt people. And eight times the word like appears, like. So John, who's getting this revelation, he's trying to describe them. So, Will, if you could just throw up that picture for me. I felt like this was a pretty good uh, art rendering of, of, of what we saw in the text. I probably would have done the scorpion with the, the, the tail underneath coming to get him. But anyway, it's like. It's like that, okay? It's like that. And these things are going to be tormenting people for five months. For five months. A fly swatter is not going to get them. They're going to be moving with power and authority. Verse 11. They have a king over them. Verse 11. The angel of the bottomless pit. So there's an angel of the bottomless pit. Again, Satan is not in the bottomless pit, so it can't be Satan. He's not there yet. He's going to go there in Revelation chapter 20. Christ is going to send him there, but he's not there yet. Right now, Scripture tells us he's prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking someone whom he may devour. He is alive and well. Actually, he's not well, because if he was well, he would follow God. But... He's alive on this earth right now, tormenting us. His name is Hebrew, Abaddon, Greek, Apollon. Both of these words mean the same thing, destroyer, destroyer. So this is a ranking demon that is currently locked up in the pit, awaiting for chapter 9 to happen. Waiting for chapter 9 to happen. All right, verse 12. So, Review, that was the first woe. It's part of this, the, the, the trumpet blast, but it was also the fifth trumpet blast. That was a woe. The second woe is coming right now. The sixth trumpet blast. The sixth angel who had the trumpet, Revelation 9, 14, said, release the four angels who are bound at the Great river Euphrates. Now, angels, again, demons can be angels, fallen angels. So there's fallen angels, which are demons. No angel of God, because angels of God that are following God, they're never bound because they just want to obey God. Only demons are bound, right? And so there's demons right now bound in the bottomless pit. Verse 15. 
these four angels had been prepared for the hour. And you want to highlight this. They'd been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, the year, and they were released to kill a third of mankind. They've been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year. That date for Revelation 9, when this is going to happen, is already predetermined by God. It's going to go down. And they were prepared for that. They're prepared for that. Last week, Bill Rodriguez said this, and I thought it was awesome. I wrote it down. God's justice is slow. It's reluctant, and it's measured. God is not reactionary. He's not reactionary. Look, when Jesus overturned the tables, he just didn't flip out in anger. No, he saw what was happening, the injustice, the fleecing of the flock, and he bent down and he made a cord, a whip, and he just took his time. And then righteous anger came out. It was slow. It was measured. It was reluctant. Jesus went to the temple when he was 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. Why did he do it at age 30 and not age 28? The same criminal behavior was going on by the priests. Why did he wait? Because he's slow, he's measured, he's patient. This is how our God moves. Psalm 75, 2 says this. The time I've planned, I will bring justice against the wicked. Guys, release justice to God. Release it to God. You're not going to get what you deserve. Scripture says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. This is why true Christians don't react out of emotional Movement that lacks self-control because the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. We should always be measured in self-control. Always. It's how we move. It's how we live in Him. Verse 16. Revelation 9. The number of the mounted troops was twice as 10,000 times 10,000. And I heard their number. And this is how I saw the horses and my vision and those who rode them. They wore breastplates of color and fire and sapphire and sulfur. And the heads of the horses were like lion's heads. And the fire and the smoke and the sulfur came out of their mouths. And these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed. And the fire and smoke and the sulfur coming out of their mouths for the power of the horses is in their mouths. And in their tails, for their tails are like serpents' heads, and by the means of them they wound. And so death is now back after five months of torment. I want you to keep your place here, and I want you to turn to Matthew 18. We look at this and we're like, wow, man, wow. But I want you to see this woe as the grace of God. I want you to see this woe as the grace of God. I want you to see those five months of being hit by, by, by these things here that looks something like that, we would imagine. 
as the grace of God. The grace of God. Why, why, why say that? Look at, look at Matthew 18. Uh, and let me just give you the context. Here's the context. The guy forgave everything of this servant. Like, like hundreds of thousands of dollars. Hey, hey, bro, you're forgiven. This guy had a friend who owed him like five bucks. And he said, hey, bro, you owe me five bucks. Give me my money. Pay me, sucker. The guy wouldn't pay him. He took him by the neck, started choking him, threw him in prison. When the king who forgave the guy the thousands of dollars heard that the guy put him in prison for only five bucks, this is where the story picks up. Matthew 18, 32, then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. This happens at salvation. Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me of my sins. And he forgives us. He forgives all of it. But yet our fellow brother and sister in Christ we walk around choking them out for five bucks. And Jesus says, you wicked servant. Well, that's not nice, Jesus. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And you should not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. And in his anger, again, Measured, just, reluctant. He delivered him to the jailers. I want you to highlight that word jailers there. It's also translated as tormentors. Tormentors, yeah. Remember in Revelation 9, that's why we're here. These locusts, they were tormenting people for five months. That was the grace of God. That was the grace of God. This wicked servant who had been forgiven everything is now being thrown into the jailers to be tormented. Why? So they would release their brother for the five bucks. And listen to what Jesus says. This is why we need to be very careful about discerning things and saying things like, that's not nice, Jesus. Listen, who are we? We don't think like God. We've been forgiven everything, everything that we've ever done and everything that we will ever do on this cross, and when we hold forgiveness towards somebody else, Jesus says, when you do that, you're a wicked servant, and I'm going to give you over to be tormented. Why? Because I want you to stop that. 35, so important. You, you should highlight this in your Bible, Matthew 18. So also my heavenly Father will do to each one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. The heavenly father is going to torment his children? Yes, because he wants them to repent. Sometimes God gives people what they want. He gives them over to a depraved mind because they will not acknowledge God. You will not rule over me. Well, if that's what you want, I'm going to give it to you. God sometimes does that. And this is where this great fear should come upon us. As his children, oh God, search me and know my heart. See if there is anything that is wrong in me. Please, God, please, God, have mercy upon me. I want you to go back to Jeff, 
uh, chapter 9, verse 20, and we're done here. And the rest of mankind, and this blows my mind, who were not killed by these plagues, did not repent. After seeing all of this stuff unleashed, I don't know about you, but if I see a big eight-foot locust coming at me with a scorpion tail and teeth like a lion, you know what I'm saying? Like, ah, oh, Jesus, I need you. But these people loved themselves so much, they did not want to bow down to King Jesus. They didn't repent of the works of their hands nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent. And again, that, that word repent means to change, to change the way that you think. I used to do it my way, now I do it his way. I used to think me first. Now I want, God, what are you saying? What are you doing? What do you want? I want to move like that, not sometimes, but all the time. They didn't repent of their murders. Now, I want you to write above murders, 1 John 3.15, please. And the reason why is sometimes, I, I want you to kind of think about this. These are the people that's around alive then in Revelation chapter 9, but I want you to understand, I look at the church of Jesus Christ, those who are born again, and I see the same things in here. Collectively. Yeah, even in bow down. I see the same things that are listed in chapter 9 of those who will not repent in the church today. Murders? 1 John 3.15, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding him. Do you know how many people just hate me? Like, there's a lot of reasons to hate me, by the way, okay? So it's understandable. It's understandable. I got many issues. That's why I gave my life to Jesus, because he's still changing me from them. But those who hate me, they have murder in their heart towards me. And it means that the love of God is not abiding in them. And so for me... It's not justice, justice, justice. I want to choke them out. I'm like, God, forgive them for they know not what you do, what they do because I'm your beloved. Forgive. And then it says they wouldn't repent of their sorceries. If you want to write pornea above that, pornea, that's where we get the word porno, por, uh, uh, pharmacy. Excuse me. Don't write pornea above that. Right, pharmacia, 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 okay? Sorry about that. I'm not doing pharmacia. I'm just on the last verse and I'm tired. All right, so sorceries is the word pharmacia. It's where we get the word pharmacies. This is drug use. Hey, listen, weed's not in the Bible. Oh, yes, it is. Yes, it is. 
be very careful of substances that you begin to depend on or escape from that rule your life. That's what sorcerers did. Pharmakia, pharmacy. Be very careful of that. And then the next one is pornea. Sexual morality, pornea. Pornography, right? Uh, uh, Listen, statistics are 70% of the men in the church addicted to pornography and struggle with it. It's the number one thing Christian men go to counseling for. 55% of pastors struggle with it. 35% of women struggle with it. This includes self-pleasure. This includes homosexuality. This includes any sex that's outside, even to the place where Jesus says, if you look lustfully at another woman, you've committed adultery in your heart. And then it says thefts. You could put Malachi 3 there. How can a man rob God? By not tithing. Some of you are robbing God because you don't give to the kingdom of God. Well, dude, you don't pass a plate, so it's your fault. No, there's a box in the back, but we don't bring it up. But people rob God. They rob God. God's given you everything. And if you believe tithing's not in the New Testament, hey, come see me. Because you bought into some, some, some doctrine that I want to give a little pushback because I love you. But also, we work at our workplace and they don't pay us what we deserve, so I'm just going to take this because they owe me. Theft. I'm not going to pay my taxes because our government's corrupt. Well, hey, so was Caesar's government in Rome. And Jesus says, give to Caesar what Caesar's. Now, don't give him anything more. And so we can be thieves. And I see this in the church. I see sorcery, pharmakia. I see sexual immorality. I see thefts. And I see murder and hatred. People hating one another. They're brothers in Christ, but they hate. They backbite. They talk about other churches in a negative way. They judge. They condemn. They don't say, oh, man, this church, man, it has this issue, this issue, this issue. Here I am, Lord. Send me. I'll go. I'm going to lay my life down for them because I love them. No, it's this kind of discernment. Oh, man, that, they don't walk in the gifts. They're not spirit-filled. They're not this. And they just flush the bride of Christ down the toilet. Hatred in their heart towards their brother and sister in Christ. Rather than saying, send me, I'll go. I'll die for my brother. No, they leave their brother. Do we not see that rampant in our churches today? Where's the love? Well, Jesus said, the love of many will grow cold in the last days. So, man, today, worship team, come on up, please. Let me read this to you as I, as I close, as I, as I land the plane. John 3, this is Jesus' words after his famous statement in John 3, 16, that he loves the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes will not perish but have eternal life. But then Jesus says this in John 3, 19, this is the judgment, that light is come into the world and people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. That is Jesus' description of those on this earth that will not come to him. 
surrendering their life to him or following him. That's what Jesus is saying. And I don't know about you, but I want to come to the place in my life where, oh God, yeah, I do want to do it my way. I do want to do things my way. I do love myself sometimes more than I love you. But God, I give you the corruptness of my heart. I need you to pour out your spirit so that you change me, God, that you make me like you because I'm like a dog. I go back to my vomit all the time. And God, honestly, I see myself in verse 20 and 21 of Revelation 9. And these are people who don't know you. Oh, God, please have mercy. And there needs to be that cry in our hearts because we are called to come out of that and live differently. To shine as lights of the world, as a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Let not, verse 20 and 21 of chapter 9, describe us. Father, this was a heavy, heavy passage today. As we see what's coming, we understand your grace, God. Even with those locusts, you're tormenting people so, so they can repent and come to you. But people just love themselves way too much. They love their pleasure way too much. They do not want to surrender. They do not want to submit. And God, we don't have to look any farther than the mirror to see that's often us. So Jesus, we thank you for the forgiveness on the cross. We pray, God, that you would create in us clean hearts and pure hearts, oh God. That our lives would be fully, fully surrendered to you in those areas that are not, God. We even surrender those areas and we just say, please, God, please, God, have mercy on us. May we never move from a place of have to. May you change our hearts so we move from a place, I want to, I want to do your will. I love you, God. I love you, God. I obey you because I love you, God. And so, Father, I pray that you would pour out your spirit today, that you would raise up a generation that would walk in purity and holiness and righteousness and be fully surrendered to you, Jesus. You are worthy. You are worthy, God. You are worthy. And we bow before you now, and we sing to you, we kiss towards you because you are worthy. And as we do that, God, I pray that you would pour your spirit out. I pray, God, that you would just change us so that we look like you, Jesus. We need you, God. In Christ's name. Thanks for visiting us today. Make sure to check us out online at www.bowdownchurch.com.